Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 9th, 2016. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading on the top of page 30. More about alcoholism, beginning with the first paragraph that begins, most of us have been unwilling to admit. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Lori B, 12 traditions, Janice M. And our readers of the text will be Lisa H, Martha Z, and Chelsea H. The reference number for Monday, February 8, 2016 is 8445, the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lori B., to read the 12 steps. Lori? Star one, Lori. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Good morning. This is Lori B., the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Lori B. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 traditions for us. Well, good morning to you and all. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. These are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Yes. Thank you, Janice. Janice M. <clears throat> How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions of re- for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 30 in the chapter, More About Alcoholism, beginning with the first step, first paragraph, most of us have been unwilling to admit. One paragraph only. I will now ask Lisa H. to begin reading. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. Um, this is Lisa H., recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. I'm grateful to be here this morning. More about alcoholism, chapter three. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Um, Again, this is Lisa, um, recovered compulsive overeater and this paragraph reminds me um, of when I, a friend of mine asked me to go to OA with her. So I went to my first meeting, face-to-face meeting, and I sat with such great discomfort. Um, and, of course, in hindsight, I was in denial. But I couldn't, I thought, I have got to get out of here. It was creating such discomfort in me. I thought I didn't belong here. Um, and then really it was about six months later, um, and I was still in this, had this insane thinking that I sat down and, um, read some of the newcomer information. Um, and one of the things that, um, one of the newcomer, you know, little pamphlets has a series of questions and I think there's 15 questions and it says, um, If you have answered yes to several of these questions, if so, it is possible that you have or are well on your way to having a compulsive eating or overeating problem. And it was just amazing to me, just the realization um, at that moment that I was indeed a compulsive overeater. Um, And and if I may, some of the things that stood out to me um, the questions, do I eat, do I go on binges for no apparent reason? Sometimes eating till I'm stuffed or feel sick. Do I feel guilt, shame, or embarrassment about my weight or what I eat? Do I eat sensibly in front of others and then make up for it while I'm alone? When my emotions are intense, whether positive or negative, do I find myself reaching for food? Do I fantasize about how much better life would be if I were a different size or weight? Are there certain foods I can't stop eating after having the first bite? Have I lost weight with a diet or a period of control only to be followed by bouts of uncontrolled eating and or weight gain? Or do I spend too much time thinking about food, arguing with myself about whether or what to eat, planning the next diet or exercise cure or counting calories? And this for me was the mental obsession this was this is exactly how I behaved, um, and it wasn't really until I came 
to a vision for you um, and came to understand about the allergy of the body and uh, the obsession of the mind. Um, I had no idea about this allergy of the body, but I knew I had an an obsession of the mind. Um, And so I am so grateful to be here, um, to be here with, with you all, other people that understand exactly what I was going through. Um, and now having been recovered, um, I have been freed from this insanity. Um, I am, I'm trying to fill, fill my, my soul, fill the hole in my soul with my higher power, um, every day. Um, and that, that keeps me on this, um, same path. Um, thank you for letting me share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lisa H. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Kathy K. Larry. Tina S. Do. Carol G. Lindy S. Okay, hold on, guys. I heard Carol G. I got Kathy K. first. Larry, I heard someone before do. Then I've got Tina S. Tina Tina S. And Carrie. I think it was Carrie. No, Lindy S. L I N D Y. Lindsay. No, Lindy, L-I-N-D-Y, L-S. I'm so sorry. L-I-N-D-Y? Yes. Lindy, I'm sorry, Lindy. No, that's okay. Thank you. Lindy, yes. Was there a a Carrie or a Carol or after do? It was was Carol G. Carol, I thought I heard you. Carol G, (laughs) thank you. Okay, I've got Kathy K, Larry Tina S. Do, Carol G., and Lindy S. Let's go with those six first. Kathy K., good morning. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. This is Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater in Boston. And, boy, this paragraph is one that I read many, many times um, in my early years in OA and still hung on to the idea that I was not as sick as the next person. Um, You know, uh, for those of us who came in uh, with not a lot of weight to lose, it was easy to hold on to the denial uh, for those first few years. And it wasn't until I started studying the big book um, with a sponsor uh, and she asked me to circle some of the words as I read to circle words that stood out for me and look them up in the big book dictionary that I began to um, infiltrate my own denial because uh, it was so true that for years I would um, put on 20 pounds and then take off 20 pounds um, and put it on again and take it off again. Um, And when I was losing weight, I just assumed, well, I don't really have this chronic problem. Um, So I definitely had the obsession with food, and I have to say I had insanity as well um, because nothing ever worked. Um, So uh, today, uh, having been through the steps, I have achieved a level of honesty with myself to realize that um, what is in these pages about the nature of an alcoholic or a food addict describe me perfectly. 
Um, and I'm so grateful that I now accept the reality of my condition because in this book we're taught exactly how um, to recover. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Kathy Kay. And Larry, you're up. Good morning, Sally. Thanks so much for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. You know, um, the, the power of this, th- this is more powerful than, than, than we know. Uh, this notion of, you know, um, no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. See, this is why, if, if you really look at this, this is why many people won't share because they don't feel comfortable saying this is so-and-so recovered because that's, that's how powerful, how powerful it is. The human condition is that we don't want to feel bodily or mentally different. We want to feel a sense of belongingness and to be sort of out there. You know, if you were to say this is so-and-so, you know, um, you know, maybe not recovered, you know, that's, that's hard because we don't want to feel different from other people. You know, and, um, you know, I've, I've taught uh, in classrooms for a long, long time. And, you know, um, students year after year, they look the same. They look the same. There, there's a uniform, if you will, that they wear. You know, and they speak the same. Now, sure, there's some, you know, there's some among us that may say, oh, no, but I was different. See, I, my hair was colored or I dressed differently. I threw on a scarf. I wanted to, or my opinion was, you know, contrary to others. I wanted to, actually, I wanted to feel a little different. But, you know, only to a certain extent. Most of us want to feel like the same. We don't want to feel ostracized. We don't want to feel that we're rejected by the, the core, you know. So we want to act and think and do it's like group think you know um now this is this is important to what we've read this notion is critically important to what we've read because since that is true if you accept that that is true then we're going this next paragraph that we'll read in a moment is the instructions to step one the instructions to step one so we can't follow those instructions until we fully concede you know, to ourselves until we fully understand that we are bodily, I am bodily and mentally different than the average human being. You know, maybe one one in 10 people are like me, maybe. I don't know what the percentage is. But um, I better get clear in my mind that I am different and get to a place of acceptance of that difference. Because until I get to that place of acceptance, I will never, ever, ever concede to my innermost self that and, and take step one. And if we don't take step one, you, forget it. You're, you're sunk in this program. <laughs> if you don't take step one perfectly, they say, right? If you don't take step one, you can never move on in sequence in these steps. Thank God for this program. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. Can I share? Sally? Yeah, hello? Sally, we can't. Sally, we don't hear you. Oh, oh can I thank sh- you. Gotcha. Tina S. Looking for Tina S. And do, L. you'll be up next. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Tina S., compulsive eater. 
in Florida. Uh, wow, powerful paragraph. You know, it says most of us, the majority of us, are unwilling, you know, not ready to admit, you know, I came in here and um, I thought it was different and that, um, you know, and I certainly related to uh, the reader who shared that, you know, I knew that I was uh, mentally different, you know, um, not bodily so much with this disease. You know, I knew that I had the obsessions of mind constantly, 24-7. And, uh, you know, my experience today is that, you know, this paragraph defines me completely, you know. Um, I've been characterized by countless, you know, many vain, you know, I'm, I have a high opinion of my abilities for sure, attempts to prove that I could eat like normal people, you know, and I had done that for many, many years. And, you know, and I like also what it says that the idea that somehow, someday, we will control and enjoy, you know. Uh, I could do one or the other, control or enjoy, but I certainly could not do both, you know. And, and that's where the allergy of the body came in. And, and I didn't understand that for a very, very long time. And, you know, uh, I just heard so many really good things already this morning, so I'm real, um, listen, um, looking forward to hearing some more. But, and I'll, and I'll uh, finish with this, the persistence persistence of this illusion, you know, my continual, my obstinate continuance, you know, to pursue this to the, you know, to death, you know, and that's, you know, where it took me, you know, I had to get to a place of I wanted to die, and then I got to a place of I wanted to live more than I wanted to die, and that therefore, you know, I, I was able to admit, and, and, you know, and it was just shared, you know, if I don't totally 100 percent you know, believe that I've, you know, in step one, then, you know, I don't have a shot. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. And do L, it's your turn. And Carol, you'll be up next. Do L. Good morning. This is do L, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, um, Sally. Um, wow, I love this paragraph, I mean, this chapter, because so far we've, covered there's a solution and the solution is that it's not me <laughs> and um and we talked a little bit about the mental obsession and there's a solution but here it says more about alcoholism well we're going to talk about the insanity of my thinking over my or over my drinking over my eating and and that's what this chapter focuses on is the insanity the insanity that goes on in my mind so it's telling me that biologically there's something different about me as a human being. Um, if I am an addict towards my food, um, there is something biologically wrong with me, but there's also something physiologically wrong with me, something in my mind that goes totally astray, goes totally wrong. And, um, and it tells me what it is. It says that the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And what is an illusion? is an incorrect or untrue belief or view of reality. So I have a distorted thinking. So when I look at my, um, uh, my foods, I have an optical illusion, right? Uh, the optical illusion is I could look at a glass, and I could look at two glasses, and one is skinny and one is more wide. And I think that the one that's wide has more. And they could be the same size. They can hold the same volume, but my mind will always tend to go for what is more, you know, and that is my illusion that I can't see things correctly, you know, and, I, and my disease is that I will always want more and more and more and more, you know, and it says that 
if you're true, a real compulsive overeater, real alcoholic, you're not going to want to believe the truth. And that's the, the problem with my mind, that I will always give into the lie, into the excuses, into the justification, into the rationalization that I can have those foods that I know kill me all the time. I know they harm me, they injure me, right? But it says the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. That is my obsession. That is what I need to combat through a spiritual experience because I can't seem to do that, you know? And, and the fact that I think that I could be like a normal eater um, is the thing that I pursue to death, you know? And, um, and this book is going to help me to clarify that thinking through a spiritual experience, that I am not like other people, that I am totally different from other people, and that I need to let go of that. And so um, we're going to cover that in, in the following chapter, and with that I pass. Thank you, too, Alan. Harold G. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, Carol. Vision for you. Um, it's Carol G, recovered compulsive overeater, um, free of the mental obsession, and I just have to chime into that illusion of control. Um, I am Carol G, Carol controlling G, um, and if I'm controlling, for me, I think I have a choice, and don't realise that I think I have a choice because. Controlling seems to be my default setting. And the worse things get, the more I assert my will and the more I assert my control. And, and this chapter brings me up to speed with the fact that it's not food that's my problem. You know, my problem is that I'm trying to control and enjoy my food while it goes on killing me. And I learn here that, well, I learned here in this chapter that I'm a power seeker, a very controlling woman who is just driven by fear. Fear, fear, and fear. And... Why was I controlling in OA even though I knew I was powerless? Well, I think because I was choosing a food plan and choosing a sponsor and choosing a meeting, I, I still felt like I had a choice somehow. And I can't afford to be given that much freedom because when I'm behind the wheel, I am going to drive you into the gates of insanity or death. That's what I do to people. That's what I do to me. And of course, I got a little bit confused with those mixed messages, but if I could choose and control my situation, I wouldn't even be here today. I'd be living a completely different life. I wouldn't have a food problem. I would have solved it. I wouldn't need you. I wouldn't need this call. I wouldn't need this book. And I wouldn't need God. And I'm not like normal people. So here I am. And I am an outright mental defective. And this chapter shows me exactly what that means because I lost the power of choice and control but it took a long long time for that to happen it worked on me quite slowly I had a sponsor who used to say Carol all your strategies will fail um, and yet I carried on suffering from untreated at, uh, alcoholism because I kept trying new strategies new ideas new things that weren't inside this book of Alcoholics Anonymous and I had to believe in this book or die because the last time I picked up a candy bar I went into shock it too it took two and a half years for me to put it down I was only going to have one what did I learn that it chooses me and it chooses when I eat and it chooses when I stop I'm completely out of attempts 
I am completely broken, my self-reliance doesn't work, controlling doesn't work, and I have to find another power. Okay, over to you, teach me. And for me today, I seem to be seeing that sanity is something that I am without symptoms of compulsive overeating. And today I've got sort of symptoms of a spiritual awakening, and any controlling that comes up, even yesterday, can be taken care of by a step 10. Hope that helps somebody, and I hope you all have a great day. Carol G., thank you so much. And Lindy S., it's your turn, and then we'll open it up for more. Lindy. Hi. Uh, thank you for letting me share. Thank you for your service. Um, I hope you can hear me. I know it's not a great. Lindy, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm having a hard time hearing you. Is there some way you can change either your position or if you're on a speakerphone or a headphone, if you can do something different so we can hear you? Um, can you hear me any better now? No, you sound like you're coming through a megaphone. Okay, I'm going to pass. Thank you. I'm so sorry, Lindy. That's okay. Uh, Thank you. Okay, let's open it up. Does anybody else like to share this morning? Kim G. Alexis H. Melissa C. Okay, I've got Kim G. Alexis, Melissa. Is there anyone else? Yeah, can I share? I'm sorry, who's that? This is Chaya. Chaya, gotcha. Yes. Of course. Valerie B. Valerie B. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, let's go with that. Kim G., Alexis, Melissa, Chaya, and Valerie. Kim? Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. You know, what we're going to see developed in this chapter is they're going to take us from the idea of illusion, which Stu um, gave us the definition for, to delusion, to insanity. And that's what I had to fully concede to myself because the illusion, the delusion, the insanity to think I can control and enjoy my eating when the reality was if I was controlling my food, I wasn't enjoying it, and if I was enjoying it, I wasn't controlling it. But I can't see that because I'm in illusion, delusion, and insanity. And for many years, what I thought was my problems I just can't remember. You know, if my problem is forgetting, then the solution is remembering. And this is my opinion. I think that's, that idea is what brought a lot of the sayings that you hear in all 12-step programs. Don't believe the lie. Play the tape till the end. Remember your last drunk. Keep it green. Think the drink through. And if that was just my problem that I need to remember, then I wouldn't need this 12-step program. The reason I need this 12-step program, which is what this chapter is about, is because I am delusional. I am insane. I have an inability to remember. I believe that I can control and enjoy it. I believe that this time will be different. I am like the, the schizophrenic that hears voices, and everyone else can tell them there's no voices going on. But if you're hearing the voices in your head, it is your reality. And that's what this chapter is going to be teaching us. Is that a fact that my, I, my brain is wired differently, and it's always going to be wired differently. But gratefully, because of this 12-step program, because I get a connection with a power 
that power will remove that delusion and I no longer want my binge foods. I no longer have to play the tape through. I no longer have to keep it green. I no longer have to think it through because this process uncovers, discovers, and discards those things that are blocking me from a power and then I am able to see the truth. And I can't do it on my own. So that was very important for me. I'm not in denial. I don't have a built-in forgetter. What I have is I have a mental twist in which I am illusional, delusional, and insane. And gratefully, there is a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. <clears throat> Thank you, Kim. And Alexis, it's your turn. And Melissa, you'll be up next. Hi, can you hear me? I can. This is Alexis H. from upstate New York. And um, I could identify with the part in the reading this morning where it talked about, like, um, wanting to be normal about how I am with my food is the obsession of every drinker. I, um, I'm still relatively new, and I feel like I notice my thinking going back into that space sometimes where I just kind of, like, I don't know. It's like I forget for a little bit that I have a disease or I forget that my relationship with food is not like other people's. And then I have to remind myself, like, no, I can't eat like other people. Like, I can't I can't just have snacks and then not be obsessing about food the rest of the day. Like, they're just things that I need to do in order to have a healthy relationship with food that I see other people don't have to do. And um, And where I am right now is that I just have to, like, continually kind of remind myself I also um I can identify with this idea of just like thinking it through and um that has definitely helped because I'll think about like oh you know and for me a lot of times it's not even necessarily going to to like trigger foods it's more quantities and um and so I'll think like oh I can have this one little like additional extra amount and and I have to remind myself like no I, like I know where that goes that goes to just like overeating, and so thinking it through is really kind of been a good tool. Um, I think that's all I have to share. So thank you for listening, and I pass. Thank you, Alexis H. and Melissa. It's your turn. It's Haya. You'll be up next. Hi. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and um, yeah, I just wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted to be normal so badly. Um, I wanted to eat the way that it looked like other people were eating, and um, and every diet, every attempt was always to be normal. Um, you know, and so I think that's why I kept doing Weight Watchers over and over again, because they always talked about portion control. And to me, that just seemed so normal and exactly what I wanted. But I could never, no matter how much knowledge I had about a deck of cards being the right size for a piece of meat and, you know, you know, one slice, is none of that. Having the knowledge never gave me the ability to live, you know, and follow that knowledge. And, um, you know, really right before I came... Um, to OA again, um, a doctor had recommended that I get um, the gastric surgery, you know, and I remember him saying to me, um, you know, once you get that, you can, you can eat anything, you know, afterwards 
when you're healed, you can eat anything you want, but you'll eat a small amount like like a normal person. And um, I had enough knowledge, thank God, from OA that those words kind of rang a bell to me. And um, I have a very close girlfriend who had the gastric surgery and lost weight very quickly, but I believe she might be suffering from what we have. And the weight is coming on because no abdominal surgery for me could fix my thinking. What I needed was a power much greater than a surgeon, um, than any synthetic um, man-made solution had to come from God. And thank you with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Kaya and Valerie, you'll be up next. Hi, could you hear me? I can. Okay, so my name is Kaya, and I'm a recently recovered um, compulsive overeater. And this is a chapter in the book that had a tremendously profound effect. And because on several levels, the first is when I read it, I knew at a gut level that what I was reading here was the absolute truth, that this was an illness. And um, for years, it just used to be my cute little thing that I would, you know, I would binge, I would purge. And that was my way of dealing with stress. And I didn't bug anyone about, around me about it. It was just my way of handling. And it had been a tool for me for 20 years. And when I read this chapter, I remember, like, killing over almost. I'm like, oh, my God, it's an illness. It is an illness. And I felt, you know... From from that, I felt relief because, you know, in the same way if someone had diabetes, you know, they wouldn't say, oh, well, I'm going to really try really hard to control my diabetes, and I'm going to just really work hard and control myself so that I don't have, you know, go into diabetic shock. So when I heard this, there was the relief and the deep gut knowledge that I had a disease. And right after that, I was shortly thereafter, like, you know, with the program, my sponsor used to tell me, do you always cry this much? And the answer is no, I really don't cry. I mean, I cried when my brother died, but that was valid. I'm not a big crier, but there was a tremendous amount of grief. And the grief was is that me and my disorder have become good friends. That was my little secret, my little thing that I did to relieve my stress, to get me through life. To And what I didn't realize is like so many of us, I had this bug in my head that I was in control. I had this distorted, selfish thinking, and I would take on the pressure of the world. And by me purging, that was how I released that, you know, pressure. And there was a grief that I had to give that up. There was a grief that I had to actually tell my husband that I was suffering from a disorder. And he had no idea. There was a grief that I had to follow this program. And this program is really, really tough. But for me, I knew that either I follow this program and I do what this book tells me or I die. And that was my choice. And this blue book has become my lifeline. It has become my lifeline to hope that I could live a life that is free and joyful. And since I have recovered with this program, with the help of this book and my incredible sponsor, I feel free. And there's a price you pay for freedom. There is a price every person pays for freedom. I mean, our country was based on the you know revolution. There was a war that was fought before we got our freedom. 
I'm fighting the war so that I could have my freedom, but it's worth it. And I passed. Thank Hi, you. it's Naomi B. Could I share? Um, first of all, um, can people have to mute themselves, please? And Naomi, Valerie's up next. And after that, Marsha's going to take us into the next paragraph. Could you maybe share on that, Naomi? Okay, um, thanks, thanks Sally. Uh huh. Okay, Valerie. And please, everyone, can you mute yourself? I'm hearing a lot of little noises. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, Can you hear me? Hello? I can hear you. Is that Valerie? Yes, this is Valerie. Take it away, Valerie. You're up. Okay, thank you. Um, I I am new to the program. Uh, I've been doing it since November. And... um, I uh I've lost you know, some weights coming off. Uh the the illness that I fight with this, I don't know if I'm alone in this or not, but I not only do I um I, I always call it a bipolar eating disorder because when I I can overeat and be heavy or uh I get some recovery and then I lose weight and then I start obsessing and I'm never small enough which is what got me into this situation in the beginning um, as, as we were reading these pages about, you know, um, you know the, the great obsession of every, you know, of every overeater is, you know, to eat and enjoy his food. And, and, and I think the other part is, is that and not gain weight. And, and I remember when I was becoming a, um, when I was in, uh, early in my teens, I just remember being so obsessed about my size. You know, I, I grew up in New York City, and the way you looked and the way you dressed were everything, especially at that age. And, um, you know, and I, I just remember, you know, being with my girlfriends and seeing somebody go by and I'm like, oh, my God, as big as hers, or my respects. You know, I was so obsessed with my body. And even in my family, I, I remember, you know, I, I know, like, my family, it was like, no matter what problem you had, it couldn't be, the worst thing you could possibly be was overweight. And, um, and uh, you know, you know, my mother would, you know, just, you know, if somebody went by or we were somewhere and someone was, you know, overweight, you know, she would, she would, you know, she would, oh, my God, you know. And, you know, um, and then when I became overweight, you know, after totally messing up very wonderful fast metabolism, you know, from starving because, you know, being a size 10 wasn't enough. And in those days, when I was a kid, a size 10 was a lot smaller than a size 10 is now. They made the sizes bigger for whatever reason. And um, that wasn't enough. No, I wanted to be a size 6 like my little petite girlfriends were. And I was never going to be that size. I was taller than them, you know, everything. And but I am so grateful today because there is, there's a, there, you know, there's recovery. And, and today I, I don't feel that way anymore. And I, I, I've lost some weight and I put on a pair of pants this morning that I couldn't wear in a really long time. And I don't care if I don't look like my size two or zero, zero friend. That's, you know, I always have these friends that are just absolutely gorgeous and zero size zero, zero, and eat whatever they want. And you know what? That's fine. I need to be myself. I'm gratefully, I'm gratefully recovered today, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Valerie. And Marcia Z, will you take us into the next paragraph, please? Good morning, Sally. Can you hear me? 
I sure can. Thank you for your service. Uh, this is Martha C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from near Philadelphia, recovered by the grace of God. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery, the delusion that we're like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. Good morning, friends in recovery. Uh, the first part, um, fully concede, admit, accept to our innermost selves that we were, I'll say compulsive readers. Um, for me, I could, I knew, I knew in my head, I fully conceded in my head what would happen if I ate certain things, specifically sugar and flour. But it was not inside. It was not in my gut. It was not in my heart. And it took me years to get to the point where I could fully concede, get it inside. And that is, I always say to people with step one, like, if you are still eating, you have not taken step one. Because, you you know, if you are, if you've truly taken it, you are powerless. So we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. This is the first step in recovery. So we our steps, they're in order for a reason. First step, the foundation. I always tell people, you know, if people, there's people out there and they're, they're trying to do the four steps while they're still eating. And I'll say, you know, it's like it's like you have a house and there's a foundation and there's a crack in the concrete. Like, would you put up the rest of the walls and everything with the crack in the foundation? And so I I, I think that the first step it's crucially important that that we fully concede. The delusion that we are like other people has to be smashed. I love the word smashed. It doesn't say we have to let go of it. It has to be abandoned. It says it has to be smashed. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say something about it. always marvels me, or I always marvel at how we, with with a certain paragraph, it's the same paragraph, but we all have such different takes on it. And I just wanted to say something about the chapter, and that was when I did this chapter with my big book guide, she told me to write the word truth about more. In the, in the title, so it said, More Truth About Alcoholism. And then she said, she talked about this chapter being a warning, and she said that the whole chapter is mainly about people who believe the lie that they could drink when they were sober. This is the second half of step one, unmanageability, the mind and the mental illness. And we got the first half of step one in, in the doctor's opinion. And... Um, I just I wanted to say something about the control and enjoy thing too. I started to think about the one story in the back of the book. I remembered this a story about somebody and she was talking about going to a Super Bowl party and that when she enjoyed it she couldn't she couldn't was out of control and then when she talked about a work thing where she was controlling it she couldn't enjoy it and that was crossing the river of denial. But then it talks about how we pursue it into the gates of insanity and death. And I I was not physically dead. I my spirit was definitely dead. I I was completely dead. But insane, I was completely that. So um, very grateful that we're going to learn the truth so that um, we can fully succeed. Concede. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Martha. Who would like to share on this? Nancy, Nancy Allen. Leah M. Kelly, it's Naomi. Could I share? 
Yes, Naomi, I've got you down first. And Leah, I've got you. And there was someone else. Was one other person I heard? Was there anyone else? Naomi B, Leah, Leah M, and who else? Nancy Ala. Nancy? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Nancy. And the Ala. Nancy Ala. Oh, okay. Was, was there someone else I heard? Chelsea. Okay, Chelsea. I think we're going to have to stop right there. I know I heard another voice, but let's start, stop right there because we don't have that much time. Nancy R., thank you. Okay, Naomi B., you're up. Leah, you'll be up next. Thank, thank you, Sally. Thank you for your service. Good morning, my my family visionaries. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater outside Philadelphia. There was so much this morning. This is just amazing. We learned that we had to fully concede to our to our innermost self that we were alcoholics. And, and the delusion that we were like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Well, you know what I hear on these lines? I didn't know what I didn't know. And what was so beautifully said earlier about gastric surgery, I had it. I had the lap band surgery. I remember sitting, sitting in the doctor's office for the orientation and listening to what he was going to do to my stomach, and my brain was jumping for joy. This is fabulous. After 65 years, I'm not going to have this weight problem again. I'm going to be thin. I won't. Oh, please. <laughs> Talk about delusional. I was, I was delusional to the point where I was hysterical. <clears throat> because with this lap band surgery, with the de- infection I, de- I developed from my, stu- my stomach, after he made an adjustment to the ban and how to go to the emergency room. Yes, all on the name of trying to lose weight. I was delusional. And I was so delusional and so driven by this mental twist in my brain, I was able to gain 35 pounds back. Okay, I couldn't have the volume I normally ate, but I'm a true addict. There's nothing false about my addiction. And I was able to do it, and I did it. And not until I realized, until I came into the doors of OA and I just celebrated my anniversary over the weekend, thank you, God, that there is a solution. There is a solution, and it's not having... They could they could have taken my stomach out, and I would have found a way. But with working these steps and living in steps 10, 11, and 12, and having a network of other visionaries around me, thank you, God, I don't want these foods. And I do all kinds of crazy things. I've shared on this line before. I do cake decorating. It's just an object. It's just an art figure to me. It's nothing more. Because God is there, and I have the neutrality. I have the neutrality and sanity around food. Thank you, God. I never, never thought I'd ever have that. I was on every diet pill, shake, everything since my teens. And thank you, God, that's not the case today. And I carry the message. I carry the message I sponsor, and I carry the message wherever I can because it was so freely given to me. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. And Leah, you're up. Thanks so much. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. You know, this process, this conclusion is an inside job. You know, the big book doesn't pronounce anyone a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic. In fact, 
they invite people to drink. You know, if you're not convinced, drink. Go drink is what the big book, uh, you know, describes in the text. So that is, you know, the process. Even when I'm working with someone, I'm not here to twist anybody's arm. You know what I mean? If you don't believe you're a compulsive overeater, you know, go out and, uh, you know, test it out yourself. And when you're through compulsive overeating, when you're convinced there is a way out, there's a way to live without having to compulsive overeat. But you've got to not compulsive overeat to experience that way of life. So you really have to be, um, you know, badly mangled to want a new life. Not compulsive overeating is the beginning of the recovery process. And that was true for me, too. You know, I kept testing my personal control. I kept thinking I could pick up and then get right back on track. And it wasn't until this disease grabbed me by the roots of my hair and dragged me, uh, you know, around on the sidewalk uh, until I was bloodied and mangled that I fully conceded to my innermost self that I am who I say I am. I am a real compulsive overeater, meaning I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Why was that obsession so necessary for someone like me? Well, it's so necessary uh, because if you can't take step one, then you can't take step two. I couldn't be almost powerless. It had to be a 100% admission. You know, why, why do they have this as the first of the 12 steps? Because my personal experience has been, if you don't admit defeat, powerlessness, then I was thinking I have the power and I would block off anything else that could help me because I don't need a power greater than myself because I have me as a power greater than myself. That's how my disease functions. So this is why step one is imperative, and that's why the literature writes that this is the only step that we take perfectly. 100% powerlessness is where I needed to start because this was the launching pad into understanding the urgency and the necessity to separate from my binge foods as described in the doctor's opinion and then embark on the program of the spiritual journey through the 12 steps in proper sequence while abstinent. So that's why uh, step one is absolutely necessary. And sponsors can give sponsees a whole lot of their heart, of their guts, of their ears, of their guidance, but you can't give someone the willingness to step take step one. That willingness is a one-person job. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. We've got time for just one more one more share, one minute. Um, Nancy R., can you take a quick This minute? is Dale P. Yes, I will. Hi. Thank I'm Nancy. Nancy. Okay, thank you. I'm, what I have to say, very short, um, a little kid, a little kid brought it home for me in the grocery store the other day. He looked at my cart and he said, lady, you eat healthy, don't you? And uh, I just smiled at him because my cart a few 24 hours ago would have been like uh, other people's carts around me. You know, and I just I just took a quick look, and the, their carts contained all the things I used to uh, have in my cart. But my cart represents the fact that I recognize today that I am different. I don't have a luxury of eating those, putting those things in my cart. And uh, I'm so happy that today I acknowledge that, 
And today I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I am. I do eat healthy, and as a result, I am healthy. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for keeping it short. And Chelsea, I apologize that we can't get to you this time. I hope you're going to stick around and share first in the next hour. And that goes for you as well, Gail T. I want to thank you, thank everyone who has shared uh, this morning. I would like to invite you to join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I will ask Chelsea H. to please read for us a vision for you, beginning with our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.